The one who's coming to speak to us needs little introduction. I think most all of you know him, but I'll introduce him anyway. Dr. David Hawking has been teaching and preaching God's Word for a very, very, very long time. His ministry, Hope for Today. I, I, that's not rude, Dr. Hawking. I'm being kind. A little more than I've been alive, right? All right, just a little. Dr. Hawking's radio ministry, Hope for Today, is heard all over the world. And he is blessed. He's been blessed by the Lord with uh, an incredible insight into God's Word, um, a great preacher's voice. And also, he's been telling so many stories about uh, when he was my age, um, sitting under the teaching ministry of J. Vernon McGee and others. I bet you you know this, but some of, some of you out there who are visiting may not know it. Did you know that the very sanctuary that you sit in today uh, was dedicated way back in 1976 by none other than J. Vernon McGee? And so, uh, Dr. Hawking, it's our privilege to have you come and speak on the topic of heaven. Let's give Dr. David Hawking a big hand. Yes, as a matter of fact, I knew he was here in 1976 because I preached at his pulpit so he could be here. Um, You know, you think it's a long time. I don't. Um, I was pastoring. Somebody asked me earlier, and he asked me to take a few minutes to tell you who I am. Um, I am a sinner saved by grace, and the only one worth talking about is my Savior. Now let's get started. Well, just a little bit. Uh, I was a full-time pastor in 1958. Were you born? No, not quite. Okay. So I guess that's about uh, 53 years now that we've been teaching and preaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Um, I started on the radio back in the late 60s. And I went over to a station in Long Beach at the request of the station manager to answer Bible questions that they were feeling uncomfortable with. So I started just answering questions on the radio. And then the guy said, well, you really should have a regular program. Anyway, one thing led to another. And we've been on several radio broadcasts, and uh, some of you may have known about the Biola Hour. I did not go to Biola. I did not go to Talbot. I guess you did. Well, I can pray for you. But anyway, uh, I also knew the founding pastor, Lieutenant Colonel Ridge Ryan, and uh, a good man and a great teacher of the Word of God. Uh, I also uh, pastored churches in uh, uh, interesting places. One was where they pipe in sunshine and pipe out moonshine. That was in Tennessee. Uh, By the looks of some of you, you have no idea what it is to pipe in moonshine. We're talking liquor here in the mountains of Tennessee, but uh, we had a wonderful time there. I also pastored in Columbus, Ohio, started a church there, and uh, through various Bible studies, other churches were born. I've emphasized church planting for many, many years, uh, seeing 20 churches that I know of that were planted that are still in existence. 
And uh, also we have a list of names of men that I've trained and discipled, and uh, it's now up to 158, either in the mission field or here. So we thank God you can reproduce yourself by teaching others what God has taught you. And uh, it's been a blessing far beyond what I ever imagined. I started doing prophecy conferences out of people's request. The obvious fact was not too many people were hearing Bible prophecy. They were hearing a lot of wackos predicting things that never came true. And uh, so I started accepting some of these requests. Well, then it just got unbelievable, and it still is. Uh, I will have 11 prophecy conferences before 2012 starts. Next uh, week, I'll be in Oregon for Labor Day weekend. Uh, after that, in Wisconsin. And I'm also going to be back at Dr. David Seifert's church in Modesto, the end of September. I have personally been blessed by David. We worked together for seven years. And uh, I've seen God's hand on this man like you cannot believe. Personally, there are two, I should say four messages that he preached, but there were two this weekend that I think are classic messages that you ought to get in your library. The one on uh, uh, Revelation 4 and 5, that scene in heaven, uh, I was just thrilled. That was yesterday morning. And then this morning over the barn, the message on hell. Get a copy of that. Have it in your file uh, where you can give it to your family and friends. It was very uh, easy to follow. It was accurately presented and a mighty impact at the end. I just urge you to get that message. Uh, we, we are going to be together not only at his church, but we're going to be together again in Hawaii. Now, right away, that is definitely the place, ladies, that your husband ought to take you for a prophecy conference. That'll be the first week in October. That'll be your excuse to get over there. We're also going to be in Apple Valley. They've never had a prophecy conference in Apple Valley. There are 20 churches out there, and uh, they have asked David and I to come and do a prophecy conference. And there will be many more uh, coming in this next year. So we appreciate your prayers and your support. My family, I am now on my 50th year of marriage. Amen. And it seems like only yesterday. Well, people say that, but it's true. It goes by pretty fast. We have three grown married children and seven grandchildren. My uh, oldest grandchild is six foot eight and goes to Colorado State and went to China in a missions trip this uh, summer. And I, uh, I called him on the phone. I said, what in the world are you going to China for? They're small over there and you're six foot eight. He said, well, at least I won't get lost. Our kids have been a blessing to us. We also have two little grandbabies, a second family for my oldest son. Um, I told him, I said, weren't you, weren't you satisfied with the first kids? Well, all of a sudden his wife gets pregnant later on, and she has a baby that was born in the first trimester. It was only one pound. I have a picture of the baby laying inside of my wedding ring. 
Well, they said it was it should be aborted, that it's not going to make it. Well, they just don't know who God is. And I said, no. And my oldest son, I was so proud of him. He said, if it's deformed or whatever it is, we'll love it to death. Don't worry about it. But don't abort that child. They put it in an incubator, but its lungs were functioning when it came out of the womb, much to their shock. They didn't do anything to the baby. She's now a lovely four-year-old girl. Well, that wasn't the end of it. About a year later, they had another one. And this one had to have brain surgery, which we did all of that. Now she's a beautiful two-year-old child. So we've got them all the way down the line from college student all the way down to little baby girls. And they are a blessing. And what I like to hear is on the phone. Where are you going this week, Papa? Well, I'm going to San Juan Capistrano. Where is that? It's in California. Well, what are you doing there? I'm going to preach about Revelation. Well, we'll pray for you, so don't worry. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I always, when we come to the end of a prophecy conference, I kind of hate it. Uh, we've been having a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh, with you all. You've been so kind to us, and I wish we could go on for another week. Turn to Revelation 21. we got two chapters to go. Seventy times John said, I saw. He's not speaking of dreams. He's speaking of what he actually saw. Well, how did he see it? These things are still future, and he was in the first century A.D.? Come on, how did it happen? John tells us three times in the book how it happened. In some mysterious supernatural way, he was transferred in spirit, in contrast to flesh, to those events. He actually watched them take place. He saw things he had never seen before, nor understood what they meant. He had to have the direction of the Lord. This book was written in 95 A.D. All history confirms that date. Had nothing to do with the invasion of Rome. If you're in a church that believes replacement theology, please get the little booklet on the back table. It will help you to understand that God has never replaced Israel with a church. He's not done with Israel. Uh, Here's the little book right here. And uh, I recommend it. We have printed and reprinted it. Uh, God has really used that, and I hope you'll take a look at it. Also, we have a little booklet that Ronald Reagan ordered from our office, hundreds of copies. One day he he called the office, and all of our phone lines were busy, and uh, somebody yelled down at me, Pastor, can you help us right now? Uh, Pick up the line and try to help us with the phone calls. I picked it up, and it said, Hello, I'm Ronald Reagan. I said, you got to be kidding. You think I'm stupid? I said, I know Ronald Reagan. If, he, if this was Ronald Reagan, then I'm Humphrey Bogart. I mean, come on. He hung up, called back. He said, David, I order from you all the time. I'm a little bit shaken that you don't know that this is me. And it began to click into my mind that I have insulted the President of the United States. (laughs) Anyway, this is the booklet he loved, Israel and its land. Even when he had Alzheimer's, 
Uh, he and his wife attended Bel Air Presbyterian Church where Don Muma was the pastor. And he'd stand at the door and hand these out, hundreds of them. God bless his memory. Uh, we have written a number of books, and they've been mentioned, but probably the best thing on Israel ever written. Oh, excuse me, I wrote it. <laughs> but seriously, I've had Jewish rabbis tell me that. Israel chosen by God. This is a little different than maybe you have read about Israel. It deals with not only their roots, where did they come from? They weren't one of the 70 nations after the flood, so where did Israel come from? And it, it, it involves history, documentation. That's been a field of mine, ancient history. And you will find a lot of facts you will find nowhere else. There's a chapter here that all my military friends in Israel helped me with called 1948. You'll read that chapter and you will say, only God could have done this. That's what Israel's leaders say about all their wars. And then the book ends with all the promises of God to Israel. And uh, even on the last page, one rabbi who read it and he said, that's a terrific book except for the last page. Here's the last page. The Messiah of Israel is the only hope of Israel and you and me. Have you personally confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again to bring eternal life to all who believe? And um, he said, I don't know, you take that page away and more of our people will read it. I said, uh, you don't know me very well, do you? He said, no, I'm not taking the page away. I think in the next edition I'm going to make it a giant font so everybody can clearly see it. Well, anyway, this is a brand new little book we did, and uh, it won't take you long to read it, but it's so important with the battle over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, its biblical roots, history, and future. That's back there. You want to get a copy of it? And uh, one final thing. I, I get amused. Uh, when people look at this book, The Church of Jesus Christ, lady just last week said, I don't want a Mormon book. This is not about Mormonism. This is about the real church in the Bible. I have never seen such a messed up uh, church world like we have right now. It's unbelievable. People have gotten away from the Bible. Uh, you will find a lot of the questions you have about the church in this book, answered, uh, I recommend you take a, but thanks for your prayers. Hope for Today is also a ministry in Canada, totally separate from the United States. I'll be there in just a few weeks in Manitoba, uh, Winnipeg, for a great prophecy conference that runs about 2,000 people. Uh, the new Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Mr. Stephen Harper, is a committed pro-Israel evangelical believer. That's why Canada is getting blessed and why their dollar now is rivaling us. It's a wonderful story, which I don't have time today to tell you. Remember when you get uh, one of our little newsletters in the back of the table, uh, just fill in the insert, leave it there, and it'll come free to your home or office every month. If you want something a little more regular, uh, we have an e-letter. comes every week. 
And uh, you need to go to our website, davidhocking.org. By the way, one of the biggest websites on the net among Christian ministries. A lot of people don't know it if they don't start searching it. We have thousands of articles. You can put in any word you want, like temple or faith or whatever you want, and you will see material that you can download free of charge and use it for your own study or for teaching others. You go to our website on the front page, it says HFT Connect. Just click it on, put in your email, that's all you need to do, and it'll come to you every Sunday night. Amen. I've already written about you, Pastor. I'm sure your people want to know what I said. Yeah, okay. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. All right, you got your Bibles open? Revelation chapter 21. Is it only at a funeral that we hear about heaven? God help us. Very few messages you'll ever hear about hell. There's actually been some surveys done by the church growth people, like Barna Association, and they found that only 11% of the mainline denominations have ever spoken about heaven or hell. Makes me wonder, what do we think we're doing here? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John said. The first heaven, the first earth, were passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne, we saw him back in chapter 4, the throne chapter, the throne mentioned 14 times in that one chapter. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm everything there is to say. I'm the whole alphabet. The beginning and the end. I was there when it started. And I will be there when human history is wrapped up and we will be in eternity forever. I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely, without cost. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be as God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, that's the word pharmaceutical, drug addiction, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Father, we have a great need in this generation to know what will happen when we die. The world is so confused. They think death is the end of it all. 
when it's really the beginning that ushers us into eternity, some in heaven, some in hell. You told us that many people are going to hell. That was shocking to read. And that few are going to heaven, even though the world thinks everybody is who's done any good at all in their life. Father, I pray, open up our minds and our hearts to the truth about heaven. We look forward to being with you. We remember the Apostle Paul said to be with Christ is far better. Help us, Lord, to understand, we pray, in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, Amen. Now, um, in the Bible, there are three heavens that we know of. So Shirley MacLaine is wrong. She says there are seven. She actually got that from Judaism. In Jewish apocryphal literature, there are seven heavens. The word heaven is used 582 times in the King James Bible. The plural form, heavens, is another 133 times, making a total of 715 times. This is not a small subject. The Hebrew word, shabayim, is used 458 times. The Greek word, uronos, in its various forms, appears 288 times. That's a total from the original languages of 746 times, which is more than you have in English. We have the phrase in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven. It is used 32 times in the New Testament, interestingly, all in Matthew. The phrase, the kingdom of God, appears 69 times in the New Testament, 53 of those in the Gospels. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2-4, Paul speaks of one, referring to himself, who was caught up to the third heaven, and he calls it paradise in verse 4. So let me just walk this through with you as kind of an introductory statement that we understand about heaven. First of all, if you go to scientific journals, or even to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which I have been on uh, quite a bit this week, They have a giant cloud coming over the planet with multicolors in it. And they've just announced that behind that cloud is the biggest asteroid they've ever seen. Obviously, the magazine does not have the gift of comfort. Scary to read what they say. A lot of people don't understand how the Bible uses heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. It's called the firmament or the expanse in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 8. In Genesis 1.20, it's called the place where the birds fly. So we're talking about the atmosphere around the earth. That is called heaven. But the second heaven appears to be stellar space. Uh, In the Bible, we have the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and galaxies. Well, in modern times, we have found out that the galaxies are beyond human comprehension. In our own, which is called the Milky Way, there are way over a hundred million stars, many more that they really have not put together as yet. 
In Genesis, God told Abraham to look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Wow. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, that's the expanse, shows his handiwork. One of my favorite little articles appeared in the NASA publication last year. Two men, young men, by the way, graduates of uh, high technical uh, graduate schools, were assigned the project of finding the end of our universe. I'm told, though I didn't see it myself, that the document they turned in to the NASA head was so huge they could hardly lift it. Thousands of pages explaining that we've come to the end of the universe. Wow. They're getting ready to present the report to Congress and then hopefully to the public. As the head of NASA was putting that together, these two guys came running into his office. Don't do anything with that report. He said, why? We've just found something else beyond where we thought the end of the universe was. He threw their document up into the air, the article said, and said, is there no end to this? You know, I thought to myself, we could have saved billions of dollars by just reading the Bible. Only God knows the end of all of this. But there's a third heaven that nobody wants to deal with. Beyond outer space. Wow, that's a long ways. And it is the dwelling of God himself. Incredible, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God dwells in heaven. Psalm 14, 2. The Lord looked down from heaven. And he saw everything that was going on earth. Boy, he's got great eyes, doesn't he? His eyesight goes clear through stellar space all the way through the atmosphere around the earth and he watches what you and I are thinking and doing all the time. It's incredible. Psalm 14, 2, The Lord looked down from heaven on the children of men. He knows everything we're doing, everything we say. He hears it all. Psalm 103:19 The Lord prepared his throne in the heavens. Revelation 4 said a door was opened in heaven and a voice came to John and said, "Come up hither. I'll show you things that are going to come after this." Boy did he ever. I like Revelation 19:1. A great voice of much people in heaven. We know the Bible teaches that there are fewer people in heaven than will be in hell. But we also know that there are some people who believe there's only a few denominations that are going to heaven. Uh, Southern Baptists have quite a large area over on Paradise Street. People talk so silly about this. 
And I love just reading that one verse. <laughs> the great voice of much people in heaven. God's into lots of people. Amen? And that's a joy. So let's just try to put this together in a simple way that we can all understand. First, heaven is a city built by God himself and the place where God the Father dwells at the present time. Now that's all over the place. It's in Psalm 48, 1 and 2. It's in Hebrews 11:16, where Abraham learned that God has prepared a city for those who believe in him. In Hebrews chapter 12, 22, it mentions those that die have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. It mentions different groups that will be in heaven, including Old Testament saints, church-age believers, and angels, lots of angels. But the most important thing that we will come to when we die and go to heaven is to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We're going to see him for the first time with our eyesight. Wow, what a day that's going to be. It must be something like Thomas, who heard the disciples say a week after Jesus arose from the dead. He heard them say that he was alive. It was hard for him to believe it. But when he saw him one week later, he fell down at his feet and said, My Lord and my God. We sang that song earlier, I Can Only Imagine. What will I do? Well, we know enough from the elders in the book of Revelation, don't we, if you've been with us at this conference, that the 24 elders who represent the church of Jesus Christ in heaven, what is their main thing they do? They fall down and worship the Lamb of God who was slain for our sin, who redeemed us out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. We're going to a city, folks. Jesus said he's preparing a place for us. I don't think it's referring to building the buildings. It wouldn't take long for him to build heaven. He used six 24-hour days to create the universe we now know exists. So he could just probably sneeze and get a whole section of heaven done. He has power like we cannot believe. There's a lot of things in the Bible about this city. And uh, Revelation 21 and 22 has to be one of the greatest passages. When my mother was dying and uh, she had cancer eating her life away, uh, she died in my arms, by the way. And uh, she wanted me to read scriptures and sing some songs to her, which we did that day. And I noticed she couldn't get enough when she was talking about heaven being a city where we're going. She asked me what it was like. I said, Mom, I haven't been there yet. Well, send some pastor over here who knows, will you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Number two, just a little simple facts. So Let's not complicate it. Heaven is where our Lord Yeshua is today. A lady came to me at a prophecy conference. She said, no, that's not true. I said, it's not? No. He was in my bedroom last night talking to me. Um, you know, you might have had too much chili, but he wasn't in your bedroom last night. He's at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. 
And he's not going to pay any private visits until he comes again. Well, when is he coming? I said, well, the Bible says we don't know the day nor the hour. Good grief. She said, what kind of a prophecy preacher are you? I said, I'm a Bible prophecy preacher. That means we're going to stick with what the Bible says. We don't know the day nor the hour. Well, our good friend Harold Camping of Family Radio, who died recently, uh, he said that it didn't say month or year. And so he came to the conclusion not only of what month it will be, but what year. And he said while he's at it, he might as well add the day and the hour. Unbelievable. I was called by CNN News. Said, do you know what day he's coming? He says he's coming on May 21st. I said, well, if I was the Lord, I'd come May 20th and foul him up. <laughs> they said, you don't believe he's coming? Oh, yeah, I know he's coming, but I don't know the day nor the hour. Well, why did he say just day and hour and not month and year? Well, because, you see, he's Jewish. She said, what? What's that got to do with it? I said, it's a Jewish idiom. When you say you don't know the day nor the hour, you don't know anything. You don't know the month of the year. You don't know anything. You mean you guys are sitting around waiting? I said, no. We're trying to keep active and doing what he told us to do. She said, well, what did he tell you to do? He told me to preach the gospel to people like you. At which point she said words I've heard so often by news people. Is there anyone else there that I could talk to? <laughs> now let me just walk this quickly uh, through for you. One is, does not the Bible clearly say that our Lord Jesus, Yeshua, or Yehoshua, uh, same name as Joshua, the Lord is salvation, uh, doesn't it say that he came here from heaven? Feel free to say amen if you think it's right. Yeah, the Bible says that. John 3.13 says he came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. In John 3.31 it says he that cometh from heaven is above all. Yeshua himself said in John 6.38, I came down from heaven. Wow. Oh, and by the way, he ascended back to heaven. In Acts 1.11, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7.56, Behold, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Wow. Here's what I like about the fact that heaven is his residence. He answers the accusations of Satan by his intercession for us in heaven. Praise the Lord. Amen. Romans 8.34 Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Hebrews 1.3 says, When he had by himself purged 
or cleansed our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When you get to chapter 7 in Hebrews, verse 25, it says, Wherefore, in addition to all I've just told you, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, Our Lord Yeshua is a defense attorney. The Greek word has been translated in Old King James as advocate. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In Revelation chapter 12, I don't know if you remembered this or not, but it said there was war in heaven. Satan and his angels are going to be cast out. And verse 8 says, Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Amen? Glad we got rid of them. Revelation 12.10 calls the devil the accuser of our brethren, which accused them before our God day and night. Colossians 3.1 tells us not to worry about it, because Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Set your affection on things above, where Christ, who is our life, will one day appear, and we'll be with him forever. Wow. Well, how about this? Yeshua is going to attend a meeting of church-age believers that he's planned for them. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Amen? Verse 17 says, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, those two verses mean a lot to me. Uh, when my father got saved, he really got saved. He turned our home upside down, literally. We had a beautiful home, wall-to-wall Persian carpets, and glorious paintings that cost thousands of dollars. When he got saved, I can still remember what he was doing one night. I was messing around playing with something in the other room and I heard the arguments going be- between my mother and father. She said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm taking these paintings off of our wall. Why? I just read in Deuteronomy that we're supposed to have the Word of God on our walls. And my mother said to him, well, at least make it pretty. So he did. He went out and he hired a professional painter who did paintings so beautiful they looked like pictures. And he began to put up all over our walls gold antique frames and uh, beautiful old English written on parchment paper all over the walls of the house. I I mean, you you couldn't go to the bathroom without reading God's Word. Or sitting at the table, there it was, the Word. We memorized Scripture just on the walls of our house. And I used to love, as a kid, watching people come and visit us. We had a beautiful entryway into that house. (laughs) And right there, my dad put this giant picture with gold antique frame from 1 Thessalonians 4. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I used to love to watch people reading that. And you could tell they were thinking about what excuse they're going to give because they want to get out of here. There's some crazy people here. Then I remember studying that passage in Greek, and I noticed that the English translation says we're going to meet the Lord in the air. But in the Greek text, it's a noun. Unto the meeting. And I thought, that's just like our Lord. He's planned a reunion for all of us as believers, and it's a meeting that he himself put together. You ever been to a family reunion? Boy, wait till we go to this one. And people often ask me, are we going to know one another in heaven? Well, of course, we're not going to be more stupid than we are now. (laughs) Amen? And he's planned this great meeting for us all. What a day that's going to be. Hey, Dad, over here. Hey, Mom, great to have you. What a day that's going to be. Are you ready? You know, it could be tonight. It could be tonight. How many of you lost loved ones already that you knew were believers? Yeah, same here. How many of you have loved ones that are not believers? Yeah, same here. Well, it's going to be a great meeting, and let's try to take as many folks to heaven with us as we possibly can. Amen? That sort of simplifies what we're supposed to do while we're waiting for him. Amen? Take as many as you can. And number five, Yeshua is going to avenge his people by returning from heaven at the Battle of Armageddon. Wow. That's going to be a great day. I do not believe the Battle of Armageddon is just in the plain of Esdraelon from Haifa over to the Jordan River. I don't believe that at all. I believe Armageddon is chosen because it is the symbol of ancient battles, the hill of Megiddo. But according to the Bible, the devastation and the war is going to be a lot bigger than that. First of all, we're told that the nations of the world are going to gather on the plains of Jordan, south of Amman. You say, what? Yes. They're going to gather at the ancient capital of Basra, B-O-Z-R-A-H, which is south of Amman, Jordan. The whole area, I've been all over that area, a lot of uh, molten rock and lava, uh, but it's uh, flat land. It's much like what is on the eastern side of the Saudi desert. Do you remember Desert Storm, how we landed over 250,000 troops and tanks and planes? The area is similar only on the west side of the Saudi desert. To get there by traveling on the ground, you really are going to go north and then south, what we call the Mesopotamian Valley. You can't really come across. It's too hot and dangerous and people die. But the Bible tells us that the nations of the world are going to assemble their armies at Basra to attack Israel. I find it interesting by my military friends in Israel that that is the area they worry about the most. It's where they're most vulnerable. 
But according to Isaiah 63, the Messiah is going to come to Basra, and he's going to start the devastation of the nations. You say, I thought he was coming to the Mount of Olives. He is going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. But that in the ancient world is a victory ascent, where the leader of the armies that were victorious will go on the Mount of Olives, lift his sword to the sky, and declare victory. And our Lord is going to do that, according to Zechariah 14.4. But that will announce the end of the battle. The battle will start at Basra. It's going to go over the whole land of Israel. Yes, the Bible teaches the whole land of Israel. Israel will be a winepress of God's wrath, and the Messiah is the one stomping in ancient style the grapes in the vineyard. Only what's coming out is not grape juice. It's the blood of the enemies of the Lord. Wow. And 180 miles of it will bring blood up to the horse's bridles. And when our Lord marches up to the Mount of Olives, we will see his garments stained with blood. And the Bible is very clear in chapter 19 of Revelation where this blood is coming from. He will invite all the vultures of heaven to feed on the flesh of the enemies of the Lord. Incredible scene. You see, he is coming back to avenge his people. Revelation 16, 14, and 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walketh naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon, the hill of Megiddo. In Revelation 19:11, I saw heaven open. Verse 14, the armies in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. All the saints of the church age are coming back with him as his bride. Hope you like to ride horses. Now the third thing I'd like to bring to your attention about heaven. A lot of people see clouds, fluffy clouds, and maybe somebody laying on the clouds playing their harp or dropping a string from a fishing pole. No, heaven, my friends, according to the Bible, is a city of enormous size and beauty. Incredible. People say, why is it so big? Well, they got to handle a lot of believers. So the dimensions are quite extensive. Look at verse 16 and 17 in chapter 21. The city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth. He measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, or 500 miles. And the length and the breadth and the height are equal. Looks like a cube. The wall is 144 cubits. That's 218 feet thick. It's made out of solid jasper, which is a diamond. Can you imagine what that will look like when the light of the Lord's presence goes through that jasper wall? It will go into a spectrum of multi-beautiful colors. And we are going to see something that is beyond our ability to see it now. We're going to need new eyes. 
My brother's having some eye trouble. I had a lot of trouble with my eyes. I'm kind of a bionic person in my eyes. They took my eyes out, literally out of the socket, and reconstructed them. When I had the first one done, uh, in spite of all the anesthesia they gave me, I woke up while the eyeball was outside. And all I remember hearing the anesthesiologist say, he said, Boy, he's a big one. We better shoot him again. <laughs> That's all I remember. And they did my other eye also. So I thank the Lord for it. So I can still see. My brother's having really trouble with eyes and degeneration and so forth. He said, I'm missing so much. I said, well, you know, the Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard. Neither has entered the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those that love him. Well, I said, how am I going to see it? This is a missionary of over 50 years telling me that. I said, God's going to give you new eyes. The ones you got are terrible. <laughs> Amen? There was a man here last night, was, yesterday afternoon, was complaining about his hip. And I said, won't it be great when we get our new one? He said, why, is that planned? He was thinking that I knew something about a doctor who was going to somehow do a deal on his hip. Are you kidding me? God's going to give you a new hip. He is? Yes. Will I be taller? I don't know. I don't know. People ask interesting questions, don't they? But the dimensions will handle all believers. But you see, folks, the description of the beauty of this city in the Bible is dazzling beyond our ability to imagine it. The wall alone, 218 feet thick, a diamond, light shining through it. The city is pure gold. I never understood that clearly until I visited in 1970 the treasures of King Tut's tomb. Now, I also went to the little uh, exhibition they had in America. You paid your 25 bucks to see the little things. Folks, that was nothing. The original had beds. Chairs, all of it made out of solid gold. Are you ready for this? 28 to 32. Not 14 grams, not 18. 28 to 32. They had some there for us to see a little demonstration of. And I'm standing there looking at this thing. I said, why does that sign say, don't touch the gold? He said, because you can ruin it. I said, how do you ruin it? He said, this is pure gold, anything from 28 up. I said, what does that mean? That means you can see light straight through it. He turns on this lamp, takes a piece of this gold, put it in front of the lamp. And he, as the tour leader, he said to me, now put your hand behind it. I did. And you could see it clearly. He said, turn it over. I turned it over. You could see your nails, the wrinkles, you could see it all. And the Bible tells me <laughs> the streets are of pure gold. Wow. What in the world is this going to be like to see it for the first time? It has 12 gates, 
And there are 12 gigantic pearls here. Ladies, how would you like this hanging around your neck? One whole gate is one pearl, not many. It has 12 foundation stones apparently on top of each other with 12 different precious stones. The Bible says there's no night, there's no need of the sun, moon, and stars. Why? Because the Lord and His Lamb, the Messiah, are all the light we will ever need. Feel free to say amen if you're going there. Yeah? And number four, heaven is the place. By the way, when did you normally quit? I got thinking about it. You got two services today, which you normally don't have. It ends at three o'clock? Well, you'll be finishing up today, Pastor. Anyway, you told me I'd have about an hour, so I'm judging that, but, you know, I'm watching it. Okay. Number four, heaven is the place where believers go when they die, and I just want to say hallelujah. How many of you have been close to death in something? About five, six people. It would be great to hear your testimonies and to think that when we die, we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. You want to see some interesting things? One, heaven is a place of reward. You're going to be rewarded. People often ask me, will we know one another? I've already mentioned that. Will we communicate with one another? Yes, we will. Is there any evidence that the people who have died or believers still talk with one another? Yes. Revelation chapter 6, 9 to 11. Uh, by the way, you are carried by angels as a believer into heaven's glory. And I'm sure they're very strong, quite big for some of us. According to the Bible, when you die, Luke 16, 25 says, you are immediately comforted from all the trials you've ever had in your life. Amen? You also get a temporary body until the resurrection, upon which you will receive a white robe on your body. The Bible says it's given to every one of the believers. We'll all have a white robe. The Bible says that you're able to communicate. These who have died are crying unto the Lord with a loud voice. How long, O Lord? Uh, they are concerned, by the way, with Bible prophecy. How long, Lord, do you wait to judge us and avenge our blood on the earth and those who dwell on the earth? I love this. Heaven is characterized by constant joy. Now, some people like to be unhappy. I've noticed that. One guy told me I love to hit my head against the wall. Feel so good when I stop. Well, you're going to be disappointed if that's what you like because heaven is a place filled with joy. In his presence, Psalm 1611 is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forever more. Amen? You say, what's the reward for? Oh, 
Matthew 5.12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The Bible speaks in Mark 10 that whatever you have done for the Lord, the reward will be 100 times greater in value than that which you did. (laughs) Amazing. Some people say, well, I I don't think I'm ever going to get a reward. I don't have any special talents or gifts. And a lady was talking to me up here about that, and I gave her this empty little water bottle. And I said, if you'll take that back and fill it with cold water and bring it back here to me, you will have at least one thing that God will reward you of. That was yesterday. She bought back four of them. That's what I call one smart, smart lady. In fact, both Old Testament and New Testament, Book of Revelation say, when the Lord comes, he himself says, and my reward is with me. Wow. And number six. Heaven is a place that's far better. I don't care if you're living on the Balboa Island. It's far better. Amen? Amen. Nothing's going to go wrong with the plumbing. It is far better. Paul said to be with Christ is far better. Philippians 1.23. Revelation 14.13. Blessed are they who die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors. How many of you have ever gotten tired in the work of the Lord? Yeah, many of you are lying today. It's easy to get tired, worn out. Sometimes the work makes you tired. Sometimes the workers make you tired. And sometimes the people you minister to make you tired. But every now and then, the Lord brings that precious person along to encourage your heart. Keep on keeping on. And God says the Lord will never forget your work, your labor of love that you've shown in ministering to saints. God's going to reward you. So learn to be that kind of person who brings God's encouragement. And after one of our service recently, a man came up to me and he said, Well, people don't like the gift that God's given me. I said, What's that? He said, The gift of criticism. Look, there is no gift of criticism. Amen? And if you haven't got something good to say, then keep your mouth shut. We're going to get a reward. But everything that you said that was critical of a brother or sister, mm -mm. read the Bible. You're going to face some very hard responses from our Lord. Be careful. Number seven. And finally, the little boy was sitting with his dad in the front row, and he heard the preacher said, and finally, he turned to his dad and said, what does that mean? His dad looked at him and said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> yes, heaven is a city for believers only. In such beautiful ways, the Bible tells us to receive Jesus Christ, as our only Savior from sin, death, and hell. 
There's no other solution. Here's a little chorus I learned a long time ago. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Amen. I just wanted to remind you, as, as Dr. Hawking has said, I'm always reminded of the story of D.L. Moody. And when a woman came forward and asked him, she said, I, I'm so concerned that I'm not a believer. I'm so concerned that I, I don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that I don't know where I'm going when I die. And D.L. Moody opened up her Bible and, and showed her John 647 and said, read that. And in it, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. She says, yeah, I know I've read that. And she, she went on to explain, well, I'm just not sure. I'm not so sure. And he said, no, read it again. And she looked at it and she read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. She said, well, yeah, I've, I've heard that before, but I'm concerned about this, that, and the other. And he gave it to her one more time and said, read it again. She read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And finally it dawned on her. The simplest statement in all of Scripture. Jesus said, the one who believes in me has everlasting life. Amen? Paul says, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. You can know if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it today.